I don't think about authenticity because we're none of us are completely authentic with other people. We're doing what pulls us. We either aspects ourselves in a situation. And sometimes you can get upset with someone when something horrible is happening in their life, and that's partly affecting what they're doing in the moment. So I just I think we learn over time because we all change and evolve. And um, you know, it's not like I'm trying to quote build relationships. I'm trying to make things as meaningful in every interaction as I can. Welcome to Out Here Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tank Pecoraro and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I am your host, Tim. And I'm Megan. And we are glad you can join us as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any and all downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And, yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So, hey, Megan. Hey, Tim. What's up? (laughs) Well, we are excited Um, to be back again with you this week. We have another great show with um, a really interesting guest. But um, before we get to that, um, just a reminder, if you like listening to us um, and you enjoy the great conversations that we're having, please make sure you subscribe to the show. Um, You can do it on iTunes or Stitcher and also share it with your friends and invite others into um, the great conversations that we're having. And you can also connect with us on Twitter and Facebook or via email at Megan at UphillConversations.co or Tim at UphillConversations.co. And speaking of connecting with us, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode. If you haven't, though, take a listen to the intro. Tim called me out and kind of put a challenge out there for listeners to um, submit something on social media so that they could see my happy dance. He gives me um, a hard time about my dancing. It's good. It's actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, the ev- the proof will be in the pudding when people actually um, actually see this video. So I need people to like do this challenge mm-hmm. because it's a cross between, remember, it's a cross between <laughs> Elaine in that Seinfeld episode <laughs> where she's dancing and Riverdance. <laughs> um, Riverdance is like an international you know, phenomenon. People love it. So it may be a phenomenon, <laughs> but your dance isn't the phenomenon. But okay. so what do they have to do? They have to social media yep. only, right? Yep. Either on our Facebook, Facebook or Twitter. It's a request mm-hmm. or the Twitter is um at Uphill Combo. And you have to say, I want to see the dance and they have to suggest a song. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can pick any you could even choose like the Barney song. I love you. <laughs> you love me. Please right? don't choose that song. Yeah, you could choose really any, anything you want. And she has to somehow figure out how to demonstrate her happy dance to it. So get on social media. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I'm I'm up for the challenge. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, you need to just take this challenge. <laughs> I just think it would be really, really good. Hey, so um, just we had. The, oh, wait, before we do anything else, I have to ask you a question. I have a question. Oh, you. I was trying to get by. I know. OK. Yes. All right. I'm excited about this one. 
I want to see how you answer. So, Tim. You want to see how I answer it? I want to hear how you answer. And see, because I'm looking at you I right know, now. but I'm going to leave the room. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. What are three albums, soundtracks, and compilations, don't count, that really define you or have shaped you as a person? Okay. This is going to be good. All right. Um, defined or shaped me as a person. Mm-hmm. And no soundtrack. No, it can't be a soundtrack or compilation. Or a compilation. Mm-mm. Okay, see, this is kind of weird because it's an album, but it, it does shape and define me um, just because of how eclectic it is. And there was a movie made, and but it was this. all the songs were written for the movie by the artist who made the actual movie, and that's by Prince. Mm-hmm. So it's under the cherry moon. That, like is a good way to define and shape me. It's like a, and not many people, you know, watch mm-hmm. that movie didn't see it, but it's incredible. And the music on there is just unreal. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I have okay. to give you three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, I would say Joshua Tree by U2. Okay. That is one that's just, um, that's going to be forever and forever and forever with me. And I would say thirdly, oh, this is going to be tough. Oh, boy. This is a challenge. I know, because you listen to everything. I listen to so much music. I know. Um, Let's see. Okay. And the third one, August and Everything, um, Counting Crows. Mm. And so I have to put this in in, uh, context, though. I never, like, people buy, like, just a song from iTunes. I buy the whole album. I'm one of those guys that grew up with, you know, you played the record. Or it was an eight-track when I was a kid. Or it was a cassette. You know, you played the whole thing. Like, I have problems people, like, random skipping. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't fade the music down or they just turn it off. Woo! You can't do that. (laughs) So I want to experience the body of work for me. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a complete body of work. But I would say those three... And it, I, I would just say, like, from front, you know, first song to the very last one. So I'm looking at it as a completed body of work. Mm-hmm. So it would be those three. Under the Cherry Moon, it would be, um, second one was, um, what did I say there? You too, uh, you Joshua two. Tree. Yeah, Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And the third, Counting Crows, August, and everything. Was it everything there after everything? You know, with Step Out the Front Door Like a Ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those, I mean, just, oh, around here. Um, I mean, those songs like Anna Begins, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's just a great album. That's a good question. I like Thank it. Thank you. But you messed me up, though, because that's just... <laughs> I know. I knew I it would a, be a challenge for you. Jeez. Yes, it was a challenge. But I encourage everybody, <laughs> when you buy something, buy the whole thing. You get. I may not like that song. It's not liking the song. It's connecting that song to the song that was before and the song that comes after it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what's going on in that whole thing? Because to me, it's like a finished piece of work. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. That's cool. That's really cool. And you can take me serious because it's like um, what I say because I'm on this podcast and so are you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I'm going to share this story again. <laughs> My daughter was watching the Lego movie 
<laughs> and 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 so it's like it's amazing how kids do understand some of the humor but those lego movies are funny and i'm driving she's in the back watching it on the dvd thing and um and so this lady goes quick broadcast me live to the whole universe <laughs> you know and they're like okay so they do and she's like hello universe i'm so and so and you can trust me because i'm on tv <laughs> <laughs> so me telling you listening that you should listen to an album beginning to end even by an old record player get a record and put it on play the whole thing and experience it you can trust me because i'm a podcast i'm on yeah, a podcast you're on a podcast so they should trust me yeah they should trust you and take you seriously take me seriously <laughs> um so episode 38 um we had an awesome conversation um with kari anderson she is an author an emmy winning winning former nbc and wall street journal reporter um and now she is a speaker she still is a columnist for some different publications and she has a great tedx talk on being an opportunity maker well it was a great talk mm -hmm. and we had a lot of fun with her and um so hey without any further delay Let's jump on into this interview with our new friend, Kari Anderson. Welcome to Uphill Conversations, Kari. Um, how are you today and how are things going in your world? Um, like all of life, there's ups and downs, but I'm extremely grateful for what I get to do in my life. Excellent. And you are coming right now. Where are you at? Where, I know you said you were doing some traveling. So where are you in the big world? Well, I live in the village of Sausalito, across the bridge from San Francisco, Chicago, um, Orlando, uh, Seattle. I've been traveling to speak and got back. Well, um, one thing, Kari, is, you know, what I really like to do whenever we have a guest on the show is really take a deep dive into some of the things that they've been putting out there into the world. And I am just really fascinated with your study and your discussion of synchronistic events. Um, so I would love it. You know, some of our listeners may know what that is, but others may not. So I would just love it if you could go into that a little bit for us, um, share what those are and, you know, and, and, and just give a overview of synchronistic events and your thoughts on them. I believe we're more blessed to get more synchronistic things to happen in our life, adventures and opportunities that fall in our path. And I believe the key to doing that is getting specific about what your top mission is in life. And unless you know specifically what it is, you can't then notice, I call it sidelong glancing, people and resources and incidents to pull them in to be able to strengthen that mission. And frankly, sometimes to notice when you get specific about that core mission, that in fact, that's not it. It's five degrees over, it's completely different. But synchronicity is, is luck. It's Two people coming together unexpectedly and knowing a situation where they can leverage more value uh, with and for each other. That's great. And and I know that one of the things you talked about is, you know, sometimes these are, you know, luck or they're accidental in nature. And sometimes these are wake up calls and it can maybe even change your life or have significant impacts on your life. So. I wonder if you have any examples of, you know, synchronistic events in your life that you could share with us. Well, I was um, phobically shy and a stutter growing up. 
And I think one of my high school English teachers said, since you don't talk much, Kari, perhaps you could be a, a reporter for a high school newspaper because then you can ask questions and people like to talk. <laughs> and she set me on that path. And I truly believe in college at Stanford, a, a college I never thought I'd get into or thought about, my favorite professor was a visiting one from London, and he was a bureau chief there for Wall Street Journal. And as he said to me when he pulled me aside after class, that um, you might actually be a good journalist because the way you ask questions, you look sort of wholesome and dim-witted, and then you sort of brighten up. He says, I think you'll get people talking. And I'll never forget it. I went outside and immediately wrote down what he said, and I wound up working for him. So I think synchronicity happens when two people are grounded enough and you become more grounded when you're more self-aware of your hot buttons um, and your talents and your top goal. With those three things, you're more able to project less on the other person about what they meant, to ask follow-up questions, and especially when your own people don't act right like you, to find a sweet spot of mutual interest where you can go deep around that. And so I think when you find that sweet spot, you're less likely to react when they irritate you or vice versa. And I think that's really vital in this turbulent time. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just uh, did a talk today with a group of people. And, you know, I said, it's kind of like the American democracy. You got left and you got right. And it's like your brain. You have a left and a right. You know, I mean, there's more to it than that. But I say, you have left, you have right. But I say, let there be left, let there be right. But let them mingle. And I like how you say project less. Um, I'd like to kind of dig into that a little bit more um, and just the dangers of projection and and how they can, you know, even um, they can thwart greater purposes and value and, um, you know, really just keep us so separate. Um, how do you help help people with um, just getting them to, you know, stop that projection, stop the that bad habit of projecting and, and getting them to project less in order to mix and mingle and leave room for someone else? I believe there's a man named Nicholas Seppley who wrote a book called Mindwise, which I strongly recommend. Um, we don't eliminate it, but we can reduce projection. If we ask follow-up questions, if we notice someone's behavior, because sometimes people say things that are not exactly what they're feeling anyway. And I think the more we're comfortable in ourselves, and we know that it's important to find that sweet spot, we're less likely to react. Um, there's fewer times in our culture where people do ask follow-up clarifying questions. So I again reiterate that. And second, the most powerful word in my life these days can sound boring, but it's specificity. When I get specific about what I mean, because a specific detail proves a general conclusion, not the reverse, um, I have gained great, greater self-clarity. Um, I reduce the chances that you'll misunderstand me. And I become more credible and compelling. When I give talks, I tell a dumb story that's actually true, which is about going to Thailand. I don't like shopping. I ask how many people there do in the audience. Some people eagerly raise their hands and others don't. I said, well, I could buy homemade shoes custom my feet for $28 a pair. So I bought 12 pairs. I mean, apple green, canary <laughs> yellow, Mediterranean blue. Um, and then I'd say, well, guess what just happened? That's a true story. It's not innately interesting, and it's stuck in your mind because of specific details. So your goal is to figure out 
how you tell others about things in ways that matter to them. There's a man named Peter Guber, who I adore, the youngest president of Sony Pictures, but also a co-owner of um, the Golden State Warriors. But he, in his book, Tell to Win, this is just extraordinary to me. He said, tell the stories that enable people to see a role they want to play in them. So they want to share them and modify them and step into them. And I just thought that was brilliant. So when that happens, we're less likely to project. We're more likely to bring out the better side in others. And they're more likely than to see our better side. And it's an easier way. Like I believe, Tim, when you do your coaching sports for young people and you play the guitar, those are emotional ways people can connect. They're in their body. They get to see or hear something. And I believe those are multi-sensory ways that ideas and cohesion come alive. That was a longer answer than I expected. No, that's Sorry. Right. That's a great answer. <laughs> great answer. Well, and I, I really, I really think that's great. And I love how you brought in the storytelling aspect of that. And, you know, that the fact that specificity, you know, it leads to that clarity and that credibility and it makes you, it makes you more memorable. So it, if I, if I'm someone who knows that that I would like to change how I'm showing up in the world. You gave us some some good good examples, but I mean, how how can we enhance our own specificity and how can we, you know, maybe get our arms around those stories about ourselves that are going to going to help us be more memorable? I think it's getting more clear about what is your core story? What role do you want to play in the stories in your life? What other kinds of characters do you want to pull in? But my favorite question to ask oneself and others when they say something general is to say, could you give me an example of that that's meaningful to you? And as they do, they it gets more granular. They say, yes. And there's also this, and then there's this. And then they've got some things to choose from in their own life. But I also believe, since increasingly we're referring back to ourselves in conversations in the United States, the best way to boost conviviality and connections is to specifically cite other people as positive examples of what most matters to you, especially three unexpected people. When I give speeches, I work with a meeting planner, and I say, here are three tips I'm going to give in my talk. I'd like to find someone in your audience who's a good example of that, and I want when we're standing in front as you introduce me for you to point them out without pointing at them. So then I can turn to one direction in the audience and say, you know, here's an example of being specific when you blah, 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 just as, and they turn the other way, said, just as Tim does, for example, as many of you already know. Then you're honoring people in the audience and you're connecting because people say, maybe I'm going to be the next one. But when the spotlight shines on you, shine it on somebody else. My mind just went blank. Oh, it's Carlos Santana. But when he was being interviewed, when he won some wonderful awards, I love his music. They kept asking about him. He says, you know, the traits that are most important to me are the ones that I've adopted from the people I admire. And this was the money quote. I'm becoming the people I love. And that just gave me shivers because he took the time to turn it around and cite three very different people as a way of um, citing what he stood for. And of course, then it's more widely quoted because they had bragging rights. Right, right, and I love that. I'm uh, I, um, I'm so uh, people minded. Like if I have one word, it's people. And 
I mean, on my mind all the time are other people. I believe in being intentional, how you treat them, speak to them, leave room for them, edify, um, encourage, you know, whatever you can do with people. Like, you know, one is too small of a number for anything of any value or worth to me. It's just too small. And um, I just love that, especially in the area of specificity. I love how, you know, for a person, for an individual, and what role do you want to play in your story? And I love how that role you still need to become, to me, other others minded. Like a takeaway for me in that is as I'm more specific, as I'm even digging into my core, because I'm like you as well, where it's the first question doesn't answer anything. There's always the and what else and then and what else and what else. But in this case, it's kind of like and who else and who else and who else. And I think that would um, I think that's a very useful way for people to start building better relationships as well. So um, I guess something that's on my mind, do you see that with folks as they become, um, you know, getting into specificity and and getting more focused on understanding what role they play in that story? Who are the other people in their lives? Do you see them begin to does that enhance the quality of relationships or in how they choose relationships or get involved with other people? Do you see those, um, you know, their lives improve in that area relationally? Well, going back first, remember those traits you just said for each one of them, come up with a specific example and you're going to get more um, clarification. But yes, when I see people learn to get more specific, to have a thread to a conversation, I work with diverse teams on retainer and in four large uh, tech companies here. And when these cross-functional, cross-departmental teams learn these things together, uh, one of them kidded me and said, you know, it's like being a dry alcoholic. A former alcoholic gets so upset when they're around other people are um, because they've overcome it. He said, now that we've learned these things, we have a thread to the conversation, be specific, follow up. Um, we're in meetings with other parts of our company and we get restless and irritated and we're now working on that when they don't do those things but we haven't told them yet so i think practice and having rules of engagement in your team that are specific um, they help us um, become the glue that holds a group together what i called in my ted talk becoming an opportunity maker where you bring out the better side in others and you pull those disparate people together who have complementary talents that help you where you aren't talented. Those are the people in this disrupted era who can assemble the right team faster and better to solve a problem or to um, uh, get a season opportunity. That's why I believe in intranets and companies. An app done intranet means that people can communicate both publicly and privately. And who are the ones that are most helpful? The helpful helpers may be not at the top of the organization, but it quickly becomes apparent who is most valued by their peers and people above them and below them in an organization. So those specific examples and actually seeing someone model their behavior is a powerful thing to witness. And Kari, I think one thing, you know, to kind of go along with that, that you said to go back a little bit with um, with synchronistic events and being open to those things that, you know, that other people might say to you um, and not reacting to them, but taking them in and being more thoughtful. Um, you talk a lot about building connections with other people. And um, one thing specifically is, you know, 
we want to experience wholeness through living a life, being in a more aware in our connection with others. So being out there and really looking toward balance. So, you know, you might be an introvert and so finding an extrovert and seeing the qualities in them or, you know, someone who's bent towards optimism, you know, they need pessimists in their lives to be open and flexible. How do you think, I mean, what do you think that balance and and that importance is and how does that play into our world where, you know, we have so much confirmation bias? How do you think that you know, we can be more intentional in connecting with others to to see the value in really coming together and building those connections. I see. I believe there's certain people we'll never connect well with, and we shouldn't try to beyond a point. Mm-hmm. But there's a much larger group. And again, I s- say look to their positive intent, especially when they do not have one. And there's something I wrote in a book that's called Getting What You Want, which ironically was not the title I wanted. <laughs> and I called it the, the you, me, us. If I say it appears that you've got a strong interest or expertise or background in blah, blah, blah. Is that true? Well, um, we may have an overlap in interest because I do this. I worked on Obama's first political campaign because these people in their 20s were brilliant um, analytics geeks. And they were good at sort of doing the grassroots organizing, but they couldn't get through to the older folks who were in their 40s and 50s. And so they said, Kari, could you come and talk to these people? They won't (laughs) listen to us, so we can't do what we want to do best. And so I just had a wonderful time getting to know them better. One of them's my um, godson, because the analytics geeks spoke in a language I could barely understand and the tech part and vice versa. So we became closer as we learned how to talk to each other. And therefore, when the geeks and I sat in meetings with other people who that wasn't their skill, we learned how to use language which we could understand each other. And we talked about an early win that we might achieve so we could realize that people will make and keep agreements amongst us. So those are some of the specific ways I suggest doing it. I also believe, you know, quotability. The idea when you get specific and being more quotable, you're going to pull in people because they're going to hear of you. They're going to remember what you say. And that's pretty powerful. But the last thing I'll say briefly is this is a time, and you both have alluded to it, where it's easy to be against stuff. I mean, all the flood of information against Trump, against a lot of things that I think are very wrong uh, regarding bombings and killings and laws. But I believe the real power comes when you come up with a brighter picture. So instead of just being against something, you're for something as a brighter, better alternative. And just today, I heard from a friend, uh, Jay Nath, who's the innovation officer for the city of San Francisco. And he said to me, the FCC is taking moves to end the open Internet or net neutrality. And at the same time, our mayor, Ed Lee, and one of the supervisors, Mark Farrell, we're going to go to create a um, a fast, rapid fiber fiber, excuse me, network for the city of San Francisco. So no matter how much money you have, even if you're poor, there's going to be a way you can access the internet so you have more opportunities to get ahead. So see, they're taking something they're against, and they're coming up with their bigger, brighter, stronger alternative, at least for their area. But it's something that's scalable that could be role modeled and spread to other cities. So that's what I am for, is being able to say, because I disagree with this, 
here's what I think are three options to do instead. And here's who needs to be involved to accomplish that. How many of you are in? So that's the kind of um, next chapter I want for more people to have in their life. It's the uphill conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I, I'm a, I, I always tell people all the time, it's like, you know, great point of view. You know, it's like, even if I don't agree with it, I say, but what are the other things that can go along with that point of view? What else is there? You know, like, you know, let's look at it from a different, you know, point of view. I, I have a lot of friends and, um, and I love to, I like to work with leaders of, you know, different organizations, things. And I like to also help pastors because they struggle and, um, and it's like, you know, here's the thing I tell him all the time. Imagine if Jesus was in the middle of the room and 12 people are surrounding him. Each one of them is looking at him from a different point of view. And so that's what they see. So sometimes what we ought to do is instead of trying to get them to see what I see, how about we encourage each other to trade places? <laughs> you know, like you come to this side, I'll come to that side. Um, you know, what else do you see? And I love also the, the fact that you pointed out that, um, you know, you know, like people, especially in the negative side of things that, you know, it's, it's the world is so full of like what you don't believe or what you don't stand for. And I think what we need more of is what do you believe and what do you stand for and how can we turn that into something, um, you know, that is useful uh, to, uh, you know, baked in with somebody else's stuff and, you know, create something else. So out of that, as I kind of just a little follow up on what you said but also leading into something here when you have a diverse group of people and you have a team and um, what are some of the ways that you, and for our listeners, I think this will be very useful. I believe, I mean, all of this is great and it's useful, but this area right here, I've had people talk about um, the struggle with having a very diverse group of people in a room together, having to work on one common thing. And obviously, you know, when it comes to points of view, biases, opinions and everything else, what do you do to direct them, um, and you know, towards that goal, um, and bringing in, you know, the what they're for, and not so much what they're against? Like, do you have any exercises, any examples, or things that you like to do to you know, get that that process started or moving along? Great, I'll go backwards and then forwards. Of those many wonderful, wise things you said, the most specific was if Jesus was in the room. So I gently suggest that's where you start when you're making that statement because it sets a tone and it's actionable that they can see in their mind's eye. About teams, a lot of the future are going to be self-organized teams. So first of all, more than six rarely works. Everybody from the military to religious groups has found that. Saddleback Church, they have small groups within a large one. So the second thing is to say, um, let's see what our top goal is, because we probably all have different goals we want out of this. They may be already assigned to something. So if they're assigned to a task, to say, what's the most specific example we can come up with that would be success for our group? Or if I was initiating the team, I'd say, well, I've gathered the six of you together, and I want to tell you each briefly why I believe you can add to the success of this goal. I want you to think about that. And turn your smartphones on and record that so you're aware of it. And I want us to have three to five rules of engagement, things that are rules by which it'll govern when we'll talk, like a thread to the conversation. Whoever spoke last, the next person must respond specifically to what they said and move on from that. Those are examples of it. So um, I believe in brevity so that you're, you, 
we think, say things that are actionable. We ask for a follow-up um, to what someone says. Those are some of the suggestions I'd make about making the team feel happy and high performing together. The last thing is one of the miracles I found in my life is it's not the first time people that have collaborated that's actually the best. Once a group has collaborated together and they've actually made and kept agreements and they've had any kind of success, they're more likely to know each other's strengths and to have a sense of each other. And the second thing that they propose to do together is often bigger and more important and easier for them to succeed at than the first thing. Hmm. And and I know that um, one thing that in even reading some of your things you've talked about, you know, it is that first time you kind of realize the value, you recognize the value and you realize the magic of what you're creating. But it's that second time that they partner, that second thing that they do, where the adventure really begins. And, you know, and where you're really getting your arms around, you know, how you can all really co-create and, and work together. But to go back a little bit, you know, you, you facilitate these meetings, you're working with these teams, you've got these great ideas and plans and action steps. But um, in your book, you know, moving from me to we, you share that an estimated 80% of what we do every day is ingrained habit, and that opportunity is often convenient. So if we're thinking about these ideas and these plans as that opportunity, it's somewhat inconvenient. You know, how do how do you get those teams, those companies, or even, you know, how do we as individuals break out of those habits to become bigger co-authors, you know, or authors in the stories of our lives? I think it goes back to the notion of what is my top mission in life? Number two, what are my top talents? And three, the flip side, what I don't do well. And with that, it's easier to see what actions, where I focus my attention, that are gonna work best. And I believe we all have a series of concentric circles in our life, an inner group that we're closest with, uh, we've proven we can trust each other, and over time we rely on each other more, but they're secondary and tertiary ones. But it's also the weak link sometimes that actually steps forward in a dire situation. So again, I believe the way we learn to collaborate better is when we've had a healthy experience of people getting specific, listening to each other closely, and achieving a specific goal early that makes them think there may be future times. And to me, one of the best ways of recognizing whether someone is a true and valuable, helpful helper, I say it's when they provided me an insight or an introduction or a resource before I know I needed it sometimes, and or from someone I didn't know could provide it. Those people are stepping out of their own shoes and going out of their way to be helpful to me because I believe the healthiest relationships aren't quid pro quo, but as Adam Grant and others have inferred in their books, it's a healthy ebb and flow of mutual support over time. But the biggest joys in my life, I have some extremely unlikely allies, some of which it's confidential under the waterline. We're so very different. Just the notion of the three of us taking a stand, saying something together is so startling to people, even if they don't think they're interested in what we'll be saying, they'll listen at first because they're surprised to see us together. And my main mission in life is pulling those kinds of people together and saying, I think the three of you, the rule of three, 
are so startlingly different, but you seem to have one sweet spot of mutual interest. I think it's worth a 20-minute phone conversation anyway to see if that's true or not. So again, specificity and setting those up. I have now 23 groups of three that have stuck together. And I can turn back to them and say, how's it going? And they wind out helping me as a trio sometimes, something I hadn't even thought of at the beginning. And it's really interesting. And I know Tim mentioned he give a, gave a great talk today um, kind of about the importance of those things that make you unique um, and the things that make you unmistakable. And part of that was, and it just resonated with me as you're talking about relationships and who you're, who you're surrounding yourself with. I mean, you, in those relationships, you want to be looking for people who are going to be putting power into your lives. I mean, iron sharpens iron. So you want someone who's going to be real with you. <laughs> you know, you want someone who's going to be authentic with you. You know, you don't you don't want that person who who is going to shy away from maybe giving you that advice that you didn't even know that you needed yet. So um, so I just really really love that. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that, that as we're looking for those relationships and, you know, you've obviously, you've been this great connector and you're someone who recognizes the power of the other. So, I mean, as you're out there, you're meeting all these amazing people, you're developing these relationships. I mean, have you ever, have you ever gotten to a situation where you've engaged with someone and you've kind of started a relationship or you've started to put a group together and you realize that, it wasn't working. And in that situation, you know, how did you, how did you move forward or move away from that or move through it? There's too many variations to really offer a satisfying answer <laughs> to that. Basically, <laughs> I don't think about authenticity because we're, none of us are completely authentic with other people. We're doing what pulls us. We have aspects ourselves in a situation. And sometimes you can get upset with someone when something horrible is happening in their life. And that's partly affecting what they're doing in the moment. So I just, I think we learn over time because we all change and evolve. And, um, you know, it's not like I'm trying to, quote, build relationships. I'm trying to make things as meaningful in every interaction as I can. And when it is meaningful for them and for me, something might come out of it. And that's that's enough in life. Um, yes, there's so many times in we shut off people inadvertently. But I do believe in knowing your hot buttons, your blind spots, and what you aren't good at. For example, I have what's called a double helix brain. I didn't know that till I was studying in college as a um, scholarship student. It was a part of the way I made money. Uh, I have complete blanks on my brain in some parts, which means I have no sense of direction. So, for example, when I go through big buildings in D.C., there's one time when I was coaching some people uh, in a large Pentagon building and two wonderful people from the Secret Service realized that I had no sense of direction and they put an RFID tag on me. They said, Kari, so if you get lost going around, um, we'll find you and we can notice it and we can call you and redirect you in the right way. You know, these are things that I would not even thought of. But again, I'm just trying to say in these symbols in the story, there's something in everybody that we can learn from, no matter how they act. It's to be open to learning, not just trying to influence them or to, quote, improve our life. Mm, that's great. 
I love it. I think I need uh, one of those RFI uh, badges <laughs> because that explains something for me now. <laughs> you just helped me. <laughs> you just helped me. Um, you know, several things you said, which, you know, and I just want to, just for our listeners, I want to go back to these, but I love how you said making and keeping promises. You know, that's just so powerful and what that can do um, for the group, the impact for a group, what they can accomplish. And I mean, it's it's really such a, it's bad to say this, but, you know, they, there was a time where you could shake hands and it meant something, you know, um, but making and keeping promises. I know it's a lot more. Uh, there's more depth to it than that. Um, and it just makes me think of, you know, that's promise making and promise keeping, you know. Um, and I love the, re- you know, it made me think of what that will do. I think in groups it's going to, you know, foster or even, uh, um you know, put off, you know, or put out more of a reward. Like it's more rewarding. I think people are going to have that anticipation of being involved, being connected. And then, you know, this is the one, this is kind of what I want to go into here. It's fun. You know, yes, it's enriching. It's enriching. If you can't keep an agreement, you tell people ahead of time, I can't, this is why and you do it. Before, sooner rather than later. Right. But that fun, Kari, if you could just, you know, I don't want, you know, it's so, it's so odd sometimes, but you just see people just not having fun. And I know there could be any number of reasons, any number, right? But I would like for you, if you, if you could even share how maybe you got a group. And I know that you're probably going to say it's some of the ways you, what you've already said, but is there a specific story or something that you can share on how you got people to get to a place where they realized that, Hey, all of this turned out to be good, great, valuable, and we had fun. Um, I think meaning is more meaningful to me. Sometimes it's very serious because of how moved we are. Sometimes it's hilarious and humorous. But the idea that we became more close-knit and and, and it was enjoyable. We came away with more energy, not less. Um, there's a person I met through the Business Innovation Factory um, where I just went on the board and he gave a talk. He'd come out of prison and what he'd learned was all these exercises he could do in a prison cell. And so he and another group of ex-cons have actually um, formed a business to help other people to learn how to do exercise when they don't have access to equipment. And he and I met and we just hit it off so well. Um, and then we met another people at this Biff Summit. Um, one person was a cartoonist for The New Yorker. And she started drawing the two of us connecting. And then the three of us thought, wow, maybe we can do um, a project on one of the techniques we believe in when another friend of mine who has underprivileged kids learn how to do video, they can video him doing these exercises. She can do a cartoon of it, and I'll write about it in Forbes. So um, it was just hilarious that within 10 minutes, we were bobbing around thinking, we, we want to do something together, and that's what we came up with. And um that's that's the first example that came to mind. <laughs> no, that's that's great, and that's and what's what what I love about it is, is it, that goes along with a statement you made. You ready? Surprised to see us together, just you <laughs> and all of them, right? That whole group yes. and yes. what you did, and people look up. So not only were you doing something amazing and fulfilling, and just everyone's getting value from this, and it's meaningful. 
But then people are looking and go, wow, I'm surprised to see you guys together. <laughs> and we get to do things the other person can't do. That's like, right. Um, I've changed my exercise routine and I can't draw worth beans. We want you to draw. We want you to draw a picture. We want you to draw a picture for us and put it on Facebook. <laughs> Post it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> My art teacher said anybody can learn to do some kind of art, and then two weeks into the class, she said I was wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man! Oh, I love your laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, Kari, I I just I love hearing you know the different stories and and bringing people together and you know and it's probably due a little bit like I said to kind of my fascination with with your your talk about synchronistic events, but um, you know y- y- you talk about these great experiences that you had and these great interactions you know that you're having with other people and. And I believe and, and I, I feel like, you know, you you and I may be on the same page here, but a lot of that happens, you know, through through these things that seem to be accidental in nature. Um, but in your experience, you know, the type of events um, that these synchronistic events where, you know, you kind of have a choice, either you can you, you can recognize it and you can change or, you know, it, it kind of just keeps happening to you until you take notice. Do you think that because maybe lack of awareness or something else, do you think these events happen more often than most people realize? I believe things become meaningful, events and resources, when we see our path in life. That's when we can notice. Um, so, yes, once we notice what, as I said, our top mission life is, mm-hmm. that's when we can see, oh, my that person would be great with, or that kind of um, news story could be piggybacked with this. Um, Or what we're missing is, so I'm going to look for someone like that, or that's what I suggest. Again, it goes back to specificity. Then synchronicity, I know firsthand it, it happens a heck of a lot. And some of my friends just laugh and they say, you just met somebody that I knew last week you were looking forward to meeting. How did that happen? I said, well, I just noticed they were right. And I said, how about this? And they said, well, no, actually not. But how about this? And I, oh, that's better. <laughs> so I think having a thread to the conversation once you see synchronicity helps um, reinforce and make it happen. And, and you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how, you know, what you necessarily have done um, in your life to, you know, to work on yourself and to get more in touch with with some of those things and gain that clarity. I know um, for me, I was fortunate um, to to have a great coaching relationship. And, you know, that really helped me. Uh, bring up some of those things. I think that we're, we're in my subconscious, more into my conscious. And and I love the one thing that you said um, in, in one of, I don't know if it was a book or a blog, but, you know, the subconscious can't take a joke. And so, <laughs> you know, it can't. The subconscious can't t- take a joke. And so... Yeah, it's not playing. <laughs> it's not playing. <laughs> and so when those things, when you start to become more aware of some of those things that maybe, you know, you've been numbing out, you've been ignoring... All of a sudden, it's when that starts to happen. You know, you'll notice you're going to keep bumping into a variation of of that again and again and again until you notice it. That's very well put. Marcus Buckingham wrote a book that was ostensibly for women, but he said, start noticing when there where there's flow in your life, where you're doing something that seems to attract appreciation, 
And then start noticing what are the specific traits within those situations, what's going on. And I think that's a natural way to sort of pull yourself into a more meaningful life. Mm, that's very good. Love that. And, and, and didn't he write a book called Flow, if I'm thinking of the same author? Uh, no. Um, oh, the, no, that wasn't the name of the book that he had, but I can't think of it right now. His Flow, yeah. is, flow is on my bookshelf. Right now, and I, I, I have a I have an order of books, and what I do well I do is I buy them with a future thought, and then I what I do is I put them in order, and then I reshuffle the order based on how I'm moving through what I'm reading, and so then I go, ooh, I'm gonna go to this book next, and so then I change position, and then I feel like the books get mad at me. I feel like I feel like they're like I feel like the pages I'm gonna open them they're gonna be blank. Like that's what you get for moving me. I wouldn't worry till they jump off the shelf and hit you on the head. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. So two just random questions, okay? And um, obviously the title of our show is Uphill Conversations. And I know that it, um, it is a little simple, a little broad here. But, you know, I'm a big person that believes your current condition does not match your emerging future. Like there's more. And anything worth having is uphill. In other words, you got to work. And I, I think you got to get up every day. It's a commitment. It's a choice. You got to be involved with your life. Like you said, get specific. You know, you're going to have to dig deeper and I believe in that. And that's that's what I uh, um, I try to do daily. And I try to use any influence I have to encourage others to do the same and help them along their way and be a good ride along. And that's what Megan, we both are just so committed to that. Um, but uh, going uphill, obviously, there's challenges. Riding a bike uphill is a difficult thing, right? And it's a challenge. And, and it's not an easy task. And I'm not a cyclist by any stretch of the imagination. And I give you know, applause to those guys that can do all of that stuff. Um, and it's, it's tough. You got gears, you got all kinds of stuff to think about conditioning, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, for you though, what has been a recent uphill challenge that you've overcome? Um, one of my two purposes in life right now is getting more services and food into refugee camps in Europe, especially um, technically getting them job training so they're more valuable and they can get out. And uh, I was facing a lot of people being critical of me, not being aware, they said, of how hard it was to have all those immigrants, some of whom might be terrorists in our country. And so I was personally right. attacked online and in other places. And then I had a big tech company where I gave a talk and I said to them, at the end of this talk, it's on how to... Um, behavior cues that boost or bust your credibility. I said at the end of this talk, though, I'm going to ask each of you to turn to someone near you and say, what cosmos matters to you? And they did. And then they said, well, what's yours? I said, getting more job training services to people in the refugee camps. And this man literally stood up and I didn't know, they didn't tell me this was being videoed to all the, their employees around the world. He said, oh, is he's doing jumping jacks, literally. We have a group in the Netherlands and our company that's working on that technology I'll, I'll send them your email. What's your email? <laughs> oh, wow. So, but it was, I mean, because, and it was a day where I was crying on the way to going to get a speech because some of the people were really personal, descriptive of me and citing, anyway, it was pretty bad. But it was just so uplifting to have that turnaround. By the time I got home, three of the people from the Netherlands and this team, and we'll announce in two months about this project, um, they said, um, We'd be glad to explore whether our kind of technology be helpful and how it serves our country. I mean, our company, excuse me. So that's my long-winded answer to that. No, <laughs> it, was, it was just, 
And because it was an accident, I even made the suggestion to them that they should describe their top cause to each other. You know, I know you said before, like things like luck and accidental stuff. And I also like to use divine appointment. And I sometimes believe <laughs> there are divine things that take place in that point of intersection where it this is going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. and thank you yep. for sharing that. And thank you for, you know, I mean, that and it's powerful and it's revealing. And, you know, you, you even just the people resisting you, what you had to go through, but you still kept pedaling. Thank you for pedaling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that it's yeah, it's yeah. it's great. I mean, and we I, I love that. I mean, it's it's inspiring, and I mean, it also is just one of those things that um, it just reminds you of how many wonderful people there are out there in the world doing amazing things. Um, and I know Tim has uh, one more question, but before before that one, I'm going to sneak another one in. Um, I you know you have done a lot of things, and you know you've had you have that great TED Talk. You're an author. You're doing speaking. You're working with teams. So you know you've you've obviously got a lot on your plate. Um, and I I just wonder you know what are some things that you do, Kari, to work on yourself? And you know maybe what are some of those daily habits that you have um, that keep you in alignment and keep um, your momentum going forward? Three things. When we put in our mind before we go to sleep at night, stuff that's arisen in our mind during the day, we're more likely to wake up having processed it. Um, And there is some research on that. So with that, our ego is involved. We get notions right when we wake up. So I actually have a um, recording where I say out loud those things to myself and I listen to it later on the day. Second, I do um, 30 minutes of exercise every day usually soon after that. It's a little exercise routine at home, so I can't escape it. And third, I believe in 15 minutes of mindful meditation where you let your mind go blank, which can be hard for some of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with those things in mind, it, it keeps me grounded. And to keep on knowing, I have a lifelong need to overcome my hot buttons. There are certain behaviors that I find so offensive, but rather than reacting and becoming like it, I want to be able to choose how I act rather than reacting. That is that is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is great. I can tell you do this because there's some people you ask that question and it's almost you know, <laughs> I mean not on our that guest on our podcast, but people if you were to ask that question, it's like you can see they're just reaching for something. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, what do I do? Well, I, yeah, I, I, eat, bre- um, I eat breakfast. Yeah, breakfast. Every breakfast. Day. <laughs> yep, yep, I do breakfast. <laughs> so, um, last question. Um, and then, uh, and we'll close this out, but Hey, three things, Kari, that you are just very optimistic. I'm, I'm sure you have more than this, but just three, three things you're optimistic about, you know, for the future. And let's just say over the next 12 months, just three things Whoa. in general in the world or in my life, whatever, however you want to answer it. Three things that if you could just give them to us. Dustin Hassler is writing a book about exponential government based on interviewing people in state and local government, and it's actionable ways that our governments can be more transparent, customer-centric. And so going back to the notion of being for things rather than against them, I believe that's going to be scalable. And I want people to feel they can stand for something in their own communities, and that's one way to do it. Um, Secondarily, I went to Bali on a trip that was for fun and one speech. And there are all kinds of people there that don't see many job opportunities, but they make this wonderful art 
out of wood and stone. And I introduced them to this man who works with hotels around the world. And I just emailed them and connected and said, um, the most people make the money are the ones who export it, not the ones who made it. Wouldn't some of these be iconic symbols in some of these gorgeous uh, hotels? And he responded and said, oh, I'd like to be the go-to person on that. It'll differentiate me. I'm going to set up a way that we can have our own export of these pieces. And they've already done five of them. Third and last, I still confess that I can be reactive on some of the things that so upset me that are going on in the world in violence. And so I want to keep turning my mind away from it and back at it from another direction. Who can I spur to support something that reduces the physical violence that's going on? What's going on in Syria, there's no simple answers, but there are some that can make some kind of help. Syria's top of my mind. Mm. Kari, thank you so much. I just, um, we have really loved talking with you today. And I know that our listeners are going to really enjoy, I think, just that the positivity and that warmth that um, that I know that I feel coming from you. So thank you um, so much for for talking with us today. Um, so for our, for our listeners, could you let them know what would be the best way for them to find you and connect with you and just learn more about all the great stuff that you're doing? Uh, Thank you. And I've enjoyed this myself, truly. It's clarifying to me talking with you, too. I have a website called sayitbetter.com and a blog called Moving From Me To We. And you can see something about the e-books, too. Over 48 entities have stolen and ripped off my book, Mutuality Matters. (laughs) And there's nothing Amazon can do about it. Um, But you know, it costs a lot. It's four dollars to buy it. <laughs> Those are some ways. Whoa! Now wait a second. Four dollars. <laughs> but truly, I did enjoy this conversation, and I like what I've seen about you on the uphill conversations. It's a great attitude, and of course, it's specific, so it gives people a mental picture. Well, thank you so much, and we've enjoyed you. And for our listeners, we want you to know that this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations with our wonderful guest, Kari Anderson. And we want you to go, please, go look at her stuff. And as, as Megan said, she is very warm. Her writing is very meaningful. The things that she puts into this world are valuable. And we believe you will grow. As you are out there, you know that you can be more, do more, and have more. Whatever that means to you, that's yours to figure out and decide. But do something with it. Be specific as our guest has said. And remember, your current condition does not match your emerging future. And anything worth having is uphill. But most importantly, you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. So until then, you will see me, Tim, Megan, and Kari on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.